We love stories of rescue, don't we? Think about the uh, summer blockbusters that, that have been uh, happening throughout the summer in the cinemas, and we've got stories of Wonder Woman, um, Atomic Blonde, uh, with Spider-Man, Homecoming, and maybe the, the biggest and, the, and the, the greatest one of them all, that the story of Dunkirk, that the rescue of 400,000 uh, Allied soldiers from the, um, a French beach. And wonderful story. Our, our hearts resonate with that, don't they, this someone coming to fix what is in trouble and, and, and broken. We also, when you think about other sort of movies and the stories that, that we love as a people, and maybe some of the songs that, that sing and capture people's imagination, there's songs who have gone from a place of sadness, brokenness, uh, mourning, and they moved their way towards a day of joy and happiness. The heart longs for those stories and we tell them. And as we continue our, our summer uh, in the book of, of Psalms, the, the hymn book of God's people, we come to uh, Psalm 30 tonight. And I do encourage you, if you, if you have uh, Bibles with you, to, to take a moment and turn with me uh, to Psalm 30. And we're going to see that uh, this psalm, this song, is a song of the great rescue, of the great transition, transformation from mourning to joy. It's an incredible testimony of someone who has encountered the rescue of God. And so to tell you from the outset, uh, to the horror of my homiletics professors, to tell you this psalm is to praise the God who restores us to life in Jesus. It's a great psalm of rescue and encourages we take a look uh, at the start here. The psalmist begins and he, he starts with a vow to the Lord that I'll praise you. Listen as we start from verse uh, 1 through 3. I'll extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. You have not let my foes rejoice over me. O my God, I cried to you for help, and you've healed me. O Lord, you have brought me up, from, uh, up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. It's a praise of God who rescues, who raises up from the depths, who heals. And that language at the end, if we see that you raise me to life from among those who go down to the pit, it's a picture, if you can imagine in your mind, of, of a deep well. I mean, stuck down the bottom of that, unable to rescue yourself and relying on the divine hand of God to reach down and to rescue in 1987, uh, a, a young woman, a young mom, Reba McClure, uh, had an 18-month-old daughter, Jessica. And she was visiting her sister. And while they were playing outside, uh, she went inside to, to take a phone call and was gone for two minutes. And when she came back outside, Jessica was nowhere to be seen. And they hurried and they, and they, they looked around and they realized that there was a 22-foot well in the ground, only eight inches thick, and baby Jessica had fallen down to the bottom of the pit. Um, this was in the days where CNN was brand new, and it was the first kind of 24-hour news cycle where the nation was transfixed on this incident and this great rescue. After 56 hours, finally, baby Jessica was raised up and in health, and saved. 
The psalmist, if you picture that situation and picture that as an image, a baby, helpless down the bottom, unable to rescue themselves, crying out, and God, the divine hand, reaching down and raising up and healing and bringing rescue. And the psalmist, as the one who has been healed and rescued, is vowing to the Lord, I will extol you, I will praise your name forever. And then after that, and I think you would probably agree that it's natural, the first thing he does, he comes running back and comes into the congregation of the people. And we see in verse 4, he now uh, comes and extols them and said, uh, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy, it comes in the morning. Say, praise this God, praise his holy name. In the name of God, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Praise the character of this God. Worship his holy name. Now you'd imagine if maybe you're, you're in the, the people and you're hearing this, you'd want to hear a little more, I think, wouldn't you? Tell me more of this testimony. And the psalmist comes and he does. And now we see from, uh, from verse uh, 6 and down, he's going to give us a little more detail about this great rescue and the character of this God who saves. And the thing is, we look and we notice that it's not a story that starts in praise. In fact, quite the opposite. The, the psalmist's testimony is that I did not praise God. He says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. You think about that in some ways. I mean, maybe it was, um, when you think about that, he's, uh, he's not praising God. Maybe it's the vigor of his youth and health. Maybe there's a, a level of prosperity and sense of the Lord's provision. And, and maybe in many ways it's very similar to our culture today, where actually there's uh, a pride in a self-sufficiency, um, self-dependence. And maybe life is geared around self-praise, self-adulation. And maybe um, when things are going well, we're actually blissfully sort of unaware of our great need for rescue, unaware of, of the mercy and grace of God. I was thinking about this week, and, and there's this psalmist um, who, who admits to this, this uh, praise of self, self-sufficiency, and I didn't praise the Lord. And I wonder, in some ways, an illustration, maybe a, a, a bunch of beautiful cut flowers, and we take a look at that, and we can take a look at it, it has all the appearance of beauty. There's a lot outwardly that looks in it, and it's praiseworthy of it. It gives a degree of aroma that is pleasant. Maybe there's uh, something praiseworthy about that, and it's good, and a sense of, of flourishing, and people being well pleased with it. And yet, if you let the illustration go there, it's unaware that it's cut off from the source of life though it might think it has that external beauty and that it's praiseworthy, cut off from the source of life, is perishing. Its future is dust. And the psalmist is there saying in his prosperity, I shall never be moved. 
And now the psalm changes. This is how he was. And all of a sudden, we don't know the exact circumstances here. But he acknowledges, he says, It was by your favor, O Lord, that you had made my mountain strong. But you hid your face and I was dismayed. Something has happened there and the psalm shifts from the sense of praise to all of a sudden now the psalmist is facing the, the prospect of death. We see that in verses 3 and in and 6 and in 9. And all of a sudden with the rug pulled out from underneath him, his, secure, his security gone and maybe face to face with his own mortality, face to face with his frailty and, and realize of his deep and desperate need, we also see there's a weeping in the face of this imminent death. See in verse 5 and, and 9 and 11, there are weeping in a morning. And we see as the psalm continues on that this isn't just an, an empty fear of death. What it is, and what the psalmist has rightly recognized, it's a recognition of his sin, his self-praise, his ignoring of Yahweh and the praise of the giver of good gifts, and ignoring of uh, the one who had made his mountain stand strong. And in that, we see this language come through of sackcloth and of mourning. In many ways, we could look at that and say there's a grace of God here, because in some sense, he's in a better place now, faced with his death and with this reality of his situation than he was when he was blind and unaware of his need. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they who mourn. And the psalmist reaches this position, this realization of his deep need. I wonder this week, maybe this month, if that looks the same for, for any of us. A lot of us here feel maybe the, the vigor of youth and things going well. Um, we live in a part of the world where, relatively speaking, there is an abundance and prosperity. And we do live in a culture, certainly, that tells us to be self-sufficient and that, you know, to, to angle towards self-praise and, and glorification. You wonder if any of us have had the rug pulled away and, and moved, maybe a, a health scare, a diagnosis that they always come out of the blue. Maybe it was a, a recognition this week of uh, something that we've done or admitted to do, convicted of a deep sin there, and we come face to face with the reality of my inability to deal with that myself. I can't undo that. I can't, I can't make that right. Maybe it's something that I've done this week, uh, an experience where we're feeling shame. And there's maybe a, a deep fear, this reality that uh, the veil could be pulled away and I'll be exposed. My enemies will rejoice over me or see me for what I am. There's an inability for me to cover that uh, myself. Either way, the psalmist had one of these moments where from his complacency and his, his self-pride and praise, he's come face to face with death and is mourning at the, uh, at the thought of it. And at this point, he remembers his cry and he testifies to the crowd that are gathered there and he's telling them. And he recounts his prayer to Yahweh. He says, To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. 
to cry for mercy. And if, and if praise is the theme of this psalm, which it is, it's also connected to the prayer as well. The prayer for mercy, praise is the basis of it. Take a look if you see it in verse 9 and in verse 12. The problem with death that he's saying here is that death results in the loss of praise. And so he compares it and he says, well, look, if I go down to the pit, I could no longer praise you, Lord. Well, will the dust praise you? Who, Lord, will tell of your faithfulness? And so we see in this psalm, and we see the reality that salvation reaches its point not just in the restoration of the needy, not just the answer to the specific prayer, but in the praise of God. Salvation isn't just when our needs are met, it's when our hearts are transformed and turned and lifted up to give praise to the giver of the good gifts, to the one who brings healing to the great rescuer. Think about the um, parable, of, oh, it wasn't the parable, it was the story of the ten lepers. All are healed and nine go away. Only one comes back and gives thanks and praise. We heard the story from Luke's Gospel today of, of the demoniac. And it ends, this beautiful story with this, this man who's found healing and restoration from literally the, the place of the dead and the, and the um, cemetery there. And it ends with him going out to the countryside, praising the Lord and telling everybody about what he has done. This great God of rescue, healing and restoration. We see that at the end of Luke's Gospel as well, after the resurrection, the people may go back praising and rejoicing to God in the temple. And in Revelation, the reading we also heard from tonight at the end, it's around the throne room where this, this God who was created and is now redeemed, it results in everyone around the throne giving praise and glory and worship to the great Redeemer, the great Rescuer and the great Healer. What we see in this psalm and the, and the testimony of the psalmist is that his neediness was met by the grace and goodness of God. His testimony is to say, I recognized my need for forgiveness of sin, to have my shame covered, my recognition of, of imminent death and inability to defeat the, the grave. And the Lord's grace um, his neediness being met by the grace of God. It's interesting when we think about uh, this psalm and the context of it. That was the, the, the individual testimony of this psalmist. And yet if we read at the very start of the, of the psalm, it says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. And what we see is that in the, in the, in the corporate worship of the people of God, this was where they took up and what happened individually, they recognized this character and this rescue of God corporately. And what it is, we think it's a, the context is it's a place and a means where sinful people can be reconciled to a holy God. Think of after the, the um, golden calf and the recognition of the idol worship and they come and God makes provision through a tabernacle where a sinful people can be restored and meet with a holy God. Think about after uh, David took the census that he was told not to bring. And there's the plague and the recognition of their sinfulness. 
And they go out and they purchase the land that will become the temple, which be God's provision as means for a sinful people to be restored and to be in his presence again. And we know after the uh, Maccabean uh, revolution, again, this psalm was used to remember uh, it was a rededication of the temple. Again, this place where sinful people would be uh, restored in the presence of a holy God. Well, if that was the context then in this great story of the, the name and the character of God, this God who is merciful, who is gracious, who reaches down and lifts up from the pit, how much more for each of us when we think and we encounter and we recognize our own mortality, our shortcomings, our shame, and our need to be restored and to raised up. How much more can we know the character of God, the nature of his holy name, than through the ultimate revelation in Jesus? A God who would condescend and come down amidst us to be with us, to redeem, to restore, to heal, to bring life again to us. Jesus who said, I will tear down, I will destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. It's the resurrection and the way, that the truth, the life, the one in him we're raised from the grave, the one who went to the cross, bore our sin, bore our shame and conquered the enemy of death. How much greater have we seen the character and the work and the rescue of God in Jesus? And how about when we think of the God of comfort? How much more comfort can we be assured of? The reality of our mourning being turned into joy, our sackcloth into, into dancing, than by the sending of the Holy Spirit, God's presence, not into a temple, but into our hearts. God's great comforter in us and with us, the very power that raised Jesus from the grave, in us, renewing us, bringing us life and a hope, a deposit of the sure and certain hope that we long for. And as we look at that and we see the transformation here from a psalmist who withheld the praise of God for the praise of himself and now turns and ends, and we see, he says, look, you have done this, you have rescued me, and at the end, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. We're not to be dust. We're going to be the ones that will sing the praise of the rescuer. And he finishes, he made a vow at the start, and he testified in the middle, the psalm ends, O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, we will as well. The enemies of sin and death have been defeated. When we think about this passage this morning, I want us to take a little bit of time and just to reflect on this. Um, and I'll ask Ryan to, to come forward, and as we have the last couple of weeks, just as to have some space and to reflect on it. But three thoughts I had um, that this word would speak to us today. The first one is starting from where the psalmist started. Are we complacent in prosperity? Is it maybe that when things are going well, it's, um, we're silent because we forget about our need for rescue and the salvation that we've had? 
Maybe we're unaware that we're cut off from the source of life. And if that's you and you're exploring the Christian faith, I would say that Jesus is the one in whom God is reconciling us to himself. Restoring us, the one in resurrection has taken place and offers us his life. He is that source and in him we have that great hope. Another one, maybe we come today and there have been circumstances in this week and it's a recognition of, of sin, of shame. Maybe it's, it's health, uh, the, the, the imminence of, of bad news, something that has happened. And actually the psalmist's testimony is one of encouragement and, and one of reminder. One of saying that we worship the God who is merciful, who is gracious, who descends down to be with us and will raise us up and bring healing and hope and life. And maybe you need to hear that word of hope and encouragement tonight. Meditate on that and remember the graciousness of God. The last one to think about is, will we be dust or will we sing the praises of God together? We pray, Lord, will you unlock our mouths, will you open our mouths that we might declare your praises? Would we be a people who have been rescued, who have been marked as a community of praise, of testimony, of telling and celebration, whose mourning has been turned to joy and sackcloths into dancing. We have great news to a world that loves stories of rescue, who wants to know joy, and we know where those things are found. Praise the Lord who restores us to life in Jesus Christ.